does it mean to win at programming? When did you win? Can you win? What's the, what's the win condition? I don't know. I think different people have different win conditions. So let's say you're a PM. What's your what's your condition? Did you on budget on time? Did it solve the problem? Did you learn? Yeah. You know, I'm reading this book, Modern Software Engineering, and in there he mentions um, he he calls certain things fractal ideas, and the meaning is like you can do this at a very small task level, and you can do it at a project level, and you can do it at a program level, and you can do it at your company level, and it's like a fractal concept. So one of them is like fast feedback and decision making. So you, you, in your code, you write TDD, and then you, you have at a higher level integration tests, and then at a higher level sort of your users and fast feedback for failing, failing fast when errors happen in production. And then you have like your program of like, are you succeeding as a business? And how do you get feedback from customers as quickly as possible about whether features are, uh, features are pushing the metrics you want or not. And then at like a macro level is your business as a whole, a viable thing. And are you getting feedback from the economy about how you're thinking? You know, so like, it's like the fractal ideas. So I, I think winning is probably, probably, a f probably works as a fractal idea. So like I'm winning day to day in my code if I'm, learning and growing as a as a programmer doing you know executing and being uh, you know successfully fulfilling my uh my role at my company seems like a win to me uh where, where i have like clear objectives and i'm making progress towards them i think what what not winning is is being distracted and and weighed down by um you know a lot of times there's just organizational drag through processes or tooling or all kinds of stuff that just kind of gets in the way of actually doing work. And we like to, we like to noodle on these things all the time and tweak them and play with them all the time. But like, if you're not making substantive progress every day, then maybe those can be evaluated. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I, I think like the, the winning is learning things is a good one. The, for for me, a lot of times winning is not sitting around waiting and not wasting time. So if the which is I guess kind of an anxiety fueled thing, but if there's like it's it's actually part of why I do and love web programming because I can get fast feedback like all like always, and whenever I don't, I get grumpy. So if I have to wait three minutes for my pipelines to finish, I'm like Ugh, I don't like this. Yeah. Are you saying that your pipelines are faster than three minutes? Well, no, but that's what I'd like. <laughs> I just want to like, you know, I just, I, I think I get, and that's kind of, you know, a lot of my work has been in performance and whatnot. And it's because of that. It's because like, I don't, I want to try to, um, if it's something where it's like three minutes every time, if it's a build process, I just don't like sitting around waiting for that. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. Like, I just want to, I want to get the thing done. I want to know that it worked and I want to be able to move on. And so that's, that's a different goal than like learning or necessarily even getting the thing done. But well, it's, it sounds like what you want is trunk based development. Yep. If you want to get done with the thing and move on, I was just talking with this with the team yesterday, a, a, a question came up in our book club. It could we possibly do trunk based development? And then we were kind of going through what is that? Well, trunk-based development means there are no branches. There's only main oh, or master. Yeah. You you push your commits to that. And when you push, it goes into production. 
um, yeah. as quickly as as makes sense. And so what that necessitates is heavy tests and fast feedback for if if you push something and there's a problem in production, you can quickly patch on top of it. Um, and all all your engineers have this same scenario, so it's rolling back can be very difficult because people have piled on three commits since yours already. Um, and so it, it's, it's more of a keep rolling forward sort of situation. The reason I think we could not do this in a large sort of um, web-facing uh, e-commerce application or similar is because we used to have this actually when I, eight years ago when I joined uh, Wayfair, we had 230 commits to master a day and every single one of them broke cash for you know our, our like edge caching so like that that would be a reason if we didn't have sort of uh, partial cache invalidation something like um, Next.js is like static what's it called the the partial static cache breaking system that, that didn't exist back in the day but without something like that or something like bit where it can just like only invalidate cache on one oh, component yeah. of your entire application or something it's invalidating like the whole bucket as opposed to the, yeah yeah, yeah. But without that, I don't think we could do it on that type of an application. But talk about tight feedback, right? You 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 commit even even a partial thing, and if it's behind a flag, it is you know your flags are different in dev and staging and prod. That's what makes the environment is the flags or the the configs, whatever uh, environment variables. Um, but if you push a feature uh, and 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 you you're you're not you're not having to go through the cycle of building for a dev environment, building for a staging environment, running integration tests. It's just like bam, it's like there in one cycle, and you're getting feedback from live customers within however many minutes. Like that's tight feedback. You got feedback on your code. You got feedback on uh, you're getting feedback from your directly from your customers, and you're watching metrics and seeing if those are going in the right direction. Like that is that's powerful. Well, I mean, if if you, I think I even don't love that if it means that you have a manual process to get that feedback all the time. Like if you can alert, like with alerting, right? But the the guidance that I've told folks is like, if if you have a graph that you have to interpret, you've now just made someone's job to like stare at a graph and to tell if something's going on. So if you could program that instead, say like, look, when something weird happens. I only want one message. I don't want 600 messages. I want one message, right? And that message should have the context of like how to fix the thing. And so like if it's, it's maybe a, a different topic, but like the, the, the fast feedback for me is like maybe not even, it's it would be eliminating that step too. It would be just like, no, did the thing that I tried to do work? Um, so, so y'all are doing feature branches? Is that like the the the, the not trunk based is all feature branch? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody brought up a a scenario they had worked in in the past where they had only one branch. It was dev, and then um, that branch basically was the dev environment, and and they had like a sandbox branch, but the, but basically. Everybody's working in dev all day, and then once a day they'll cut a merge to main and deploy that, or once whatever period that was. So that's like maybe an intermediate step to yep. trunk-based development, but true trunk-based development, yeah, no no branching, which means sort of no code reviews, 
um, outside of like pairing. So this is why, you know, Dave Farley in this book is advocating hard for TDD and pair programming because those are actually sort of essential to trunk-based development and getting those feedback loops as, as short as possible. How does, like that. How does it, the, the company scale, grow, and stay aligned with that kind of approach? Well, the code base, as the company grows and scales, the code base grows and scales, right? But it, but, but if it remains modular, you can, you know, you can manage the complexity. For example, like let's like what what Richard was saying is like, hey, I, I I want to understand the system, and I got like a, a a flow of logs, and I don't really understand any of them, right? And if I'm in a modular approach, and I'm only focusing on my little area of the code base. I'm not going to be able to influence like, Hey, how do we make sure that we don't have noise as much as possible? Right. Is there a way that like, is it, how does that happen? Yeah. I think you have to, nobody in a large enough code base or company understands the thing. So you have to start scoping things. And that's actually where in the book, he talks about the importance of drawing the level of boundary, right? So like, isolating your system under test to say, okay, this entity, whatever it is, this code base or repo or whatever is the thing that we are responsible for testing all of the contracts, all of the ports and adapters, inputs and outputs for, this is the thing that we're responsible for going into and adding unit tests and making sure it's consistent and, and doesn't break. And, um, if you, if you draw those lines too wide, then you're throwing in inputs, getting out outputs. And when something breaks, you're not sure where or yeah. why or what it is. And it's too complex to understand. So it's important to draw those lines at the right level so that you get inputs and outputs that are sane. And you can, when something breaks, you can, it, it's meaningful and you can fix it quickly. So that's, that's like the modularity. If you, if you've done a good, uh, modular design of the system or several systems, then you don't have to care about everybody else's logs, right? You can narrow in on your system's logs. It's almost like having a, a, a startup within a larger company that you're okay. like, so let's we, say we're, we're doing our due diligence. So let's say you have the right lines, the right boundaries, you know, you understand your system well, but there is a requirement to learn more about the more about outside your boundaries in order for you to find a solution with the simplest approach, right? Like oh, if you're going to stay within your boundaries, you can solve the problem, but without knowing the more about the system, the approach you're going to choose is just objectively more complex than something. If, if you had more knowledge, if you had more communication with, with yeah. other teams and were able to brainstorm solutions. Right. So how do yeah. you like, and then over time you, you get like more complexity and this is makes more, then they need more people, more teams, more people to keep stuff in their heads. So how do you, how do you like address that? I think one of the, so like, some of the stuff from Eric Evans is knocking around in my brain, right? And like his his point is, we have these mental models of how life should be, but then we hit reality, and it's like, oops, like that's not. Like, <laughs> we can't actually draw those boundaries because like everything is just slightly coupled. Like this thing kind of talks to this other thing, right? And Raph, what the other piece is like, you built this whole universe, but like that universe was created understanding that you're hacking around something else right and so like potentially if you had the, the right conversation it wouldn't be hacking around it it'd be like working together on a problem right 
and so that's that's where it's like i think the the complexity and whatnot a lot of the software complexity lives in that right and the, the fact that like it's humans essentially having conversations which ideally are separate and distinct but often flow into each other you know i actually don't think that most engineers within a system or domain or like area as we're defining it should care about the possibility that something's simple by understanding outside that domain yeah. uh, but i'd say probably the job of staff or principal engineers like that's the job you you understand what's going on within your domain and you understand the next closest relations and as as the relationship of your systems get further and further it's kind of like kind of like you care most about your family and then a little less about your cousins and then a little less about everybody else, just like, you know, evolution, evolutionary, uh, advantage there. It's, it's similar at, uh, at a company or a principal engineer, you understand your system, you understand how it interacts with another one and you should spot really quickly in an RFC if somebody's like, or a tech spec where somebody's like trying to propose something, you're like, Oh, well, if we could just interface with this other team in this certain way, we could, um, we could, we can make our lives a lot easier. Uh, yeah. That's a tough job. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough too, because like some things that <clears throat> look like they should be related aren't necessarily right. It's like, Oh, like some of the keywords match, but then when you get down to the implementation, it's like, Oh yeah, this is a terrible idea. This is, <laughs> this is not a thing that we should try to reuse or re you know, just keep it separate. Yeah, and then um, uh, uh, if you have a company culture where it's like, hey, let's go align that as a solution, and once that solution is aligned on, that's it. You, you don't have really time to pivot. You don't have time to experiment with other other options. So like, even if you have a principal engineer who understands like, hey, let's do some let's do something, it's probably unlikely that folks will align on the first best solution. They'll probably like come up with some solution, then learn more as they go, and then want to change things, but. In, in my experience, like it's it's hard to change things. Like once once people are like aligned on some, on some direction, saying like, hey, you know, we made a mistake. We should have gone this direction. Halfway through, it's not an option, right? It's something that's like, hey, you know what? Next time we rebuild the system in five years, we can we can talk about this, <laughs> right? So I'm just throwing curveballs at you. I'm trying to see like how does this like mental model work in 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 uh, in, in in real world, I guess. Well, I think that the the high level the high level design is software in itself right and so i think because to your point of like the fractal design down right like the how the bigger pieces fit together if you kind of squint your eyes or you know you look at it fuzzy you get the same structures right at each piece and so like within you know a bunch of if statements or whatever or within how the modules combine you know there, there's always going to be some kind of edges that you have to smooth out or like recreate and I don't know. Well, I yeah, I, I the smoothing out and recreate. That's exactly what what my thought was. So the the concept of TDD, I think, is a fractal concept. So if you take it up a level and you say, um, where we are going to design a system and make large architectural changes, first we're going to see the problem. In other words, the breaking test. So something's wrong. Then we're going to propose some kind of a fix. And make that make that problem green try and make it go away and then we're going to refactor and second guess everything that we've done and so like the the approach that like ideas are not concrete ideas are hypotheses and along the way we're going to learn and we're going to learn how to get through i have this i have this idea that i was thinking of the other day maybe it's a bad one because 
I didn't steal it from somebody and usually my own ideas are bad, but it's like when you get a, get a project or get a thing, um, you, what you're getting is a maze, right? And you might know that there's cheese in there somewhere, but you don't know how to get through the maze. And so you're going to, you're going to start going in, you can start bumping into walls. You have to backtrack. You got to take a different direction. You got to take all these turns and stuff. And it's incremental and it's a, a learning process. So like always be getting that feedback and learning and the feedback is based on where's the cheese, right? So you have a specific thing that you're aiming at. So as long as the like the like goals are aligned and everybody's aligned that we're not building, you know, the mock that designers gave us, like, no, we're not building that. We're going to build towards a goal and we're going to try and get there the best way we can. And we're going to have tons of iteration along the way and decisions that, that we need to like make fast decisions along the way. And then, and, and then scientifically, we're going to reach that cheese. Um, it's not going to be the way that anybody expected because nobody knows, right? And, it's, and, and, and we're all usually wrong. So we just need to be humble uh, up and down the board on that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the biggest battles I'm fighting right now is um, the, the idea that instead of building towards these uh, metrics that we can scientifically get feedback on and iterate towards, we're building towards a thing in a specific person's head that they think is the right solution, right? And that's where you get problems when you're tied so closely to this one thing. And, and if it doesn't come out exactly as it is in that person's head, then it's a failure. Like that's, that's not fun for anybody to try to build. Yeah. I, I, I like the analogy a lot. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that I started with, like the anxiety over sitting around and waiting, it's like not being able to run as many experiments, not being able to bump into walls or to know that I bumped into the same wall like too many times. And it's like not interesting to bump, you know, I don't know. That wall is fine. I discovered that. I want to discover a different thing. Right. Um, yeah. And, and the biggest pushback I see to this is like, oh, that's going to take forever for us to like navigate this maze. Just jump, just jump over straight to the straight to the cheese right? yeah, yeah like okay well that's not that's not how mazes work like that we 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 have to accept that we don't know we just don't know well but but also how can we figure it out you can get myopic on that too right in the sense that like my some of the best work that i've done was someone came to me with like a really kind of stupid idea it was like take this enterprise software and just recreate it and do everything that this like you know army of folks did and i was like that sounds insane and really fun. So I'm going to go do it. And that's where I wrote like most of my, cause it was like very clear of like what I had to do. And there was a ton to do and it was awesome. Like I, you know, I actually don't know that I've had that same sense of like a runway where I was just like galloping and getting stuff done and solving stuff. And like, it was just it was fantastic. And I, I feel like some folks are like, Oh, well, you know, no, that's, that's, we're scared to do that. And that's not, that's not good. That's, you know. Yeah. Dan, I really like the idea of like, you know, don't, don't have the one person's mental model and everyone follows it, have the, the direction, like have everyone understand like how to navigate themselves and like, in you know, in a fractal way, maybe you have like a leadership fractal and then individual teams have the, have the same ability to bump with the walls and, and make those adjustments. hundred percent love that. The question is like, can is it is it possible to work? Like, I can imagine a team of five people having no problem doing this, but a team of like um, like thousands of people, like you know, a company of thousands of people, how does that work? And and then like Richard, like I had the same experience of, hey, let's take this like billion dollar company's product and then recreate it with five people, 
and that's the, the best experience I've had in my career. Yeah, learned so much, had so much fun, had so much like brainstorming. The whole that exactly that bumping in the wall stuff. We knew where we wanted to go. We knew exactly the MVP. You know, like it was perfect alignment across the entire. But it was only five people, <laughs> so like yeah. I'm just basically trying to recreate this. Is this is basically what it is? Like, how do you get that that culture? I think OKRs are a key part of it, which is probably going to make a lot of folks groan. But I think the the intent and the point of the OKR, right, is like have a thing that we can optimize for, right? Set up a number and like if you if you give a challenge to any engineer and say like, look, make this number go up. I mean that's that's fantastic. Like why why wouldn't we want to do that? So point being, you know, I was, I was having this discussion this week. If there's a thing we want to optimize for, what's what is that? And then we can get creative of like how many different ways we optimize for that thing. And then we can measure. We tried this thing. We tried an experiment. It did nothing for the goal we thought it would. Okay, well, you know, what did we learn in the meantime? And what's the next step? What's the next thing that we try to, you know? So I think like the the OKRs should be small, right? And like, you know, the intent is like go in a direction and be able to see if you've gone in that direction. Like that's that's the intent. Yeah. I think what happens is we get these OKR planning processes and we forget that as the like, core message. And it's just like, make this button green. Okay, now make it blue. And it's like, that's not... <laughs> I think OKRs are another fractal yeah. idea. And at the very low level, if I was to set my daily OKRs for my own personal behavior, a lot of things become very obvious and clear. Like, I can't have 12 in one day. So... Uh, you know, exactly. I can't have, I, I can't even have six that each break down into three, you know, KRs and then uh, tracking that. So like, but, but then as we get higher and higher level, we seem to forget that these things are insane and we, yep. and we end up with 30 OKRs for a large group. The, the thing that I, the key there, I think is as you go up the fractal to get higher and higher level, it needs to be necessarily more um vague and abstract yes. and more about the high level aggregate metrics as the key results right yep. the, and and um the 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 concept of providing maximal flexibility to get to the right solution by providing minimal constraints yes. at each level right so at the very top level what's the least that we can give to the next level as a constraint and then give them the freedom to figure out the rest. And then at the next level, you do the same. Um, and, and then once you, hopefully then if that all goes well, by the time you get down to the team of five, you're in the situation that you described, right? You have very clear constraints. And within those constraints, you 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 just have to get together with your five other engineers and be like, how are we going to do this? Okay, cool. Let's blast it. Boom. And then you're like chugging away. And as long as those minimal constraints were good, high quality, uh, you can uh, hopefully make progress and report it up and, and push those metrics that, the, that everybody's looking at. So, the, you know, I think the, the piece that you're saying about the minimal, like the minimal is like minimal length, minimal messaging is really important. And I think what's what's challenging here is like, this is what make people scared of like being a pointy haired boss, right? The, the pointy haired boss from Dilbert is like someone who just says something stupid that doesn't relate to anything and then that's their job is to say the stupid thing but I think the thing that's in there and the contradiction really is they try they, the alternative should not be to overcomplicate things and to say 60 things because that's exactly the wrong thing you do you actually do want a very 
like very small minimal message and it has to it has to ring true when you say it and that's the two conditions i guess right so like if it's a very small message and it has nothing to do with what you're doing you've done it wrong try again <laughs> but you know the alternative should not be in this and this and this and then you know it shouldn't be 60 pages long right i'm curious about about y'all's thoughts this thing i've noticed happening there are a lot of teams in a large organization that are platform level or cover all or most of the org and so their okrs are are less about building things and more about influencing other teams so if you have a local platform team and then a global platform team and then an engineering standards team and then a, a like component library team and and then you have your business side with your 30 OKRs so now you have you as a as a feature building engineering team who you have seven groups who all uh, their jobs are to influence you to do something to take their thing as your top priority so you have seven competing number one top priorities that you absolutely must do. It's nonsense. Um, yeah. And and this is this is where <laughs> I think a lot of the 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 complaint of why does why does our top priority keep switching? Why can we not just like focus on one thing and like actually make progress on it? I think a, a lot of that comes a lot of it comes from the OKRs being like way way too many and way too specific. But a lot of that I think comes from just these competing things are like okay are we refactoring all of our home-based components yeah like I, I see this in a drives and bananas it really it's 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 such a software thing you're abstracting it wrong like you you've made an you've made a poor abstraction try again create a better abstraction that fits where you know it's not gonna you know and i think that's that's the work and i think the problem is once we have something and it sounds good and there's one piece you know here's the challenge right the, you, you create this thing and it says whatever and it's like yeah but my thing that i think is a great idea is not in this now it's like okay well you have power and so i'm going to put that on the list now that list becomes 30 and so w w what's implicit what's implicit here is like it's really uncomfortable right to say look i get what you're saying your idea is cool but like it doesn't fit in like here's the thing that we're actually focusing on because that provides the stability right so so what you're saying dan is like we've we've anchored on the wrong like level or like the um zoom level right and then that's when things have to change all the time right and and that's doing it wrong that's just like we shouldn't even do that process at that point i think but yeah so are, are you saying we just have to not get into this mess or no. is there a way that is, is there is there somebody's job to like say yeah. hey i'm gonna organize all of this and make sense of it and tell the team that this is the top priority, or is it the team's job to get together and say okay here's all of the top priorities let's pick one like what which one do we think is the most important all right we're doing that and then like who's how does this work i think i think the worst example that we've that i've seen is where someone at the po at the top without the right data is told that it's their job to just like make some decisions and so they just they do that they make some decisions based on no information <laughs> that's the book right and so the, the the point is you can't do these things without the right information which means that you have to source that information you have to ask the right questions you have to like connect to the folks you have to solve problems that actually exist in the world i think there's this there's this notion that like the people that are at the, are at the top 
are just like geniuses because they whatever it's like no it's not genius it's the fact that they're like able to listen to the folks that are in that org and they're able to consolidate that they're able to think higher level a higher level abstraction right that's the piece that a lot of people fail at and then you have a coordinated action right so like the thing I'll, one thing and then I'll, I'll stop the thing about a platform team or whatnot i think I, I see this a lot where like you're a platform team okay what do you what do you need to do well just go sit in a corner and think about it it's like no don't do that source what actual problems exist in the organization find them talk to people right and and some of this is the role of product and whatever but like engineers can do it too what is terrible what do we actually need to do to make things better and like that's your project it's right there like you know it, it's <laughs> the, the the more that we're sitting in a corner trying to dream up a new project that has a certain scope or something the more that we're doing it wrong it has to be sourced from communication and from actual like you know complaints complaints are hugely important and just saying that someone's complaining is is missing the best information you have in an organization right so so uh so i completely agree with this right this makes complete sense and I think everyone would agree with this, right? Like who, what, what, why? So the question is like, why are we in a situation we're in when this is so like clear and obvious? And my theory is reviews. <laughs> so you have this idea where, hey, what, what did you do on your team? Like, what is your impact here? And if you don't do something, then your review sucks and you get you get uh, a bad rating and, and now all of a sudden your compensation's at risk, right? So you have to push for something, even if you don't even believe in it, because there's no other choice. So if your team should take, basically take a step aside and say, like, let's, let's look at the bigger picture and say, like, how can we support another team? That's not going to look good for you in our, in our system. Yeah, and I, 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 know, I know what you're talking about, and it does make me sad. I mean, I think the thing there is, like, what are you incentivizing for? What you said, just said, Raf, is essentially, like, you're incentivizing on the number of Git commits. What do those Git commits do? I don't know. Like, why would that be the criteria for anyone's success, right? But it is because it looks like things doing. And so, like, the, you know, the the uh, appearance of hustle, right, was this thing that Luke Stevens was talking about. And it's like, are you incentivizing the appearance of hustle or are you actually, like, charged with doing things? And so what's challenging is how do you know? So I have all this information. I'm gathering this information from the organization, right? How do I know that I'm on track or that what my plans were uh, just a bunch of nonsense? Well, you ask the people that are work, like working towards your plan. You put out an idea, and if everyone's response to your idea is, this looks like a pointy-haired boss from Dilbert, you did it wrong. You didn't do the thing. <laughs> Either you abstract, you missed something, there was some connection that you didn't come. Or the alternative is like, yes, I am very excited about this. I have the next six months. Leave me alone, and I will go do my thing, right? And produce an absurd amount of stuff, right? Like, <laughs> that actually produces value. So that's the difference. I think the to your point, the setting up the right incentives and the right structures and how we measure drastically alters the behavior. And that's just you can get it wrong, but Lord, like don't don't know how performance conversations with folks. They're gonna just get angry and leave. That's what's gonna happen, right? So it sounds like the job from the feature development team's perspective is actually the line manager because that's the person writing my review. If they say this is top priority, I'm going to go with this. And and they should they should know that the team should only be working on one high priority at once, and it shouldn't switch too often. So they need to be the shield and take that pressure from the seven different very high powerful 
teams and say, okay, I need to make sense of this. And my team is going to focus on one thing at a time. And this I think is the top priority. If you can convince me otherwise, fine. But once we're working on it, we're not going to, we're not going to, you're not going to interrupt my team. We're not going to switch priorities. Like this is it. It sounds like that whole situation is, is, is part of the very hard job of being a line manager. I'll add one extra layer. What you're, what you're describing is a certain set of acceptance criteria, which might excite some and bore the hell out of others, right? So there are some people who, so there are people out there who like to go from one thing to the next. Now, context switching is inherently often inefficient. And so if they really like that thing, maybe they really like not being efficient. But for me, if there's a thing and someone else comes on, you know, interrupts me or whatnot, I don't. I don't particularly get angry. And so like, that's my personal preference, right? I, I am not uh, as easily flustered by chaos, right? And so what do you do? You put me in those positions where that's okay. Other folks who are more distracted and angry, it just makes them sad, don't do that. And so, so the point is like a well-functioning team is having people do the job that they love and each person's gonna have a little slightly different. So, so, so I guess what I'm saying is you're right giving a certain set of like criteria of what makes an engineer happy and the complexity really comes from don't don't assume that someone loves that thing because you do right which is also a line manager's job like find the right exactly the right job so i, I agree line managers seem like the the key here yeah i'd say that's a I, I would say that that's a hard requirement for the job now to the point are there any git commits in that no, so don't use git commits as your as your like <laughs> except as criteria for the person on that line manager job, right? But and and that just implicitly happens, right? Like that does that's a thing that like without care, it just shows up. It's interesting because I wonder. So line managers, I think, are the sort of linchpin, are the last failing resort. But then I wonder how we think about managers of managers. Like, what is the response? It really probably a lot of this should lie on their manager to give them direction and help you know, organize and understand these conflicting priorities and how to work like all like the the team specific and personality specific things that's the line manager for sure but the organizational priorities and 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 um pushing in in the right directions i think probably should they should share that burden with their manager. Well, I think the way I think about managing managers is it's, if you think of it in the same way that we think about IC work, right? If you want to create a good abstraction, don't give that to somebody who just came out of college, right? Give it to someone who has had experience doing those things, right? So abstracting and pulling out the essence of a thing is challenging. That's essentially like what it means to evolve in your career. And there's more to it. That's like one way that I think about it. So the, the manager of a manager has to have done that thing so many different times so that when that manager that they're uh, managing <laughs> um, is having problems, they can think of other abstractions. So point being, if you go to a principal or staff engineer, what are they going to do? They're going to bring a wealth of experiences, right, of like different ways around problems that you hadn't necessarily thought of because you hadn't seen it before. It's got to be, if you're not getting, if you're a manager and you're not getting that from your manager, you probably need it, right? In order to do your job. I mean, maybe you're fine, but like if you're fine, then your manager of you as a manager should be able to push you in the same kind of like level and abstraction and, and you know, uh, critical thinking, right? Of, of, you know, that's how you get better. 
So along the lines of what you were saying about, uh, you know, finding, like put, putting the right person in the right place in the org for them to be happy and love their job. So I was just thinking, like, imagine a person who really, really wants to write a lot of code, right? Another place in this organization where, like, hey, listen, we're all focused on this. We're all rowing in the same direction. That's going to require you to align with the team's goals, the business's goals, rather than your own objectives, right? Yep. And so, like, how do you find, how do you, like, place that person in the right place? I think there's also a place for that person, um, which is, like, a company should be doing experiments like some part, like, you know, expand their businesses, maybe like go to different directions and, and the people who want to like, just go crazy and write a bunch of code and, and do a bunch of things. Yeah. The business, businesses still need that. Right. But if you're putting that person in the spot of like, Hey, I'm going to go like do my own thing rather than, rather than go with the flow, rather than go with like the, yeah. the, the team's goals. Now that, that that's the wrong spot. So again, I think, uh, yeah, this is all making sense to me. I, I think, you know, Raph, you bring up an interesting case the person who just wants to write a code, I think what you have to do is then source what are the complaints from that person, right? And to, to hear them and to understand that they're not wrong. And so someone who wants to write a lot of code, are they going to love sprint planning meetings and all that kind of stuff? Maybe not. I mean, maybe they do and, you know, they're, they're unique. But, like, the point is there's something really significant in that signal of, like, really wanting to write code. And the job of the manager at that point is to make sure that they can write as much code is humanly possible right like give give me a lane and get people out of my lane right like if if you want a lane and you just want to run forward make that path as wide and, and you know long as whatever as as you can right and i think what's what's weird is make sure that the organization rewards that plus other you know plus not that right because otherwise you're asking everyone to become like jerry well jerry loves to write code but there's other people that are not Jerry who have different priorities. Don't measure them against the Jerry criteria, right? And and that's you know, I have to I have to caveat that this code writer needs to be documenting and oh yeah, that person quits and they, then you're in bad shape. Make sure that yes. their code is good and well tested and well documented. Exactly. <laughs> otherwise you're otherwise you're uh, what do they call them a court, code tornado? Mm -hmm. Is like leave a you, you get promoted because you got so much done, and but so the, all of the engineers have to clean up your mess after. Well, so that's that's the criteria that we'd apply. So someone who's not that profile, did you write any code is probably a good thing. Did you write a lot of code? That's probably like the opposite metric that you want to measure, right? The person who's writing a lot of code, you don't have to measure that. They're already incentivized to do that thing. So you have to come around in a different way. Okay, you wrote all this code. How much of your code does anyone else understand? And if the answer is zero, you now should get a poor review. I get that you love you're doing what you love to do, but it's actually impacting the business in a negative way, right? And so, like, maybe make you know the the structure here a little bit more clear, or make it uh, like allow someone else to like join you on this journey. That's that's entirely a part of the job, right? So then let's talk about like how the how does the the assets of the business apply in a fractal way? I've always thought about like. You know, code is not the asset; it's a liability. The more code you have, the more the more maintenance, the more understanding you have to have. What the asset is is knowledge at the at the lowest like level, right? Like, if I understand how to solve this problem, if I understand this problem well, I know some solutions for it. Like, great, that's the asset. But how does that? How does it, like? First of all, does that make sense? And two, if it does, then like, what's the asset at the higher levels? I think that one of the key assets is having resilience in the organization, right? And by that, I mean, if you hire a bunch of Jerry's who are never, uh, Jerry is not the term of the person who writes code, who's like, you know, no one else can understand. If you have a lot of that, you know, it, it's like, 
that can form brittleness in the organization. And I think it's the job of the folks that are leading at the very highest level to make sure that their organization is uh, at least maybe not the strongest thing, but not super brittle, right? So like find find where the weak spots where we just over-indexed on a certain acceptance criteria that's actually hurting us in a different way. And I think that's that's like the like I think there's a lot of beauty that that emerges in that structure by just like asking that question and investigating it, right? Like you can see how the pieces don't fit together and where that where that's okay and where that's not okay, right? I mean, it's just that's so cool. Yeah, from a from a business perspective, I think engineers tend to uh frequently complain about or look down on product but like product is really where the value of the organization is you're because because their understanding of the product and the business case and what works and what doesn't and how your users interact and that that's where the real value of the business lives that and i'd say probably the data uh, depending on your business um so engineers are just an abstraction a way where like or or more of an implementation detail right it's like if you you could take all of those business people if they're really good and they've documented things well and they have their they have their shit together and just swap out the entire engineering team they could build you you could they could build you another solution that's viable and good yeah. and it could be a completely different language completely different architecture from a business standpoint you know there's we discount it i think a lot as engineers that there's like huge value in just having people that know how stuff should be built for, from the user's perspective. There's an accountability piece. And then piece. of course it has to like run well. And, uh, and our job is to make it, um, our, our, our job as engineers is partly to implement it, but it's partly to open up more opportunities for, for the business to have more flexibility, right? If something's faster, they can do more of it. If something's more capable with like WebSockets or something, they can have a whole nother idea for business uh, feature. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's another piece to that too, which is that like holding holding folks accountable should be fun, right? I think a lot of times it's just uncomfortable, and then it stops it being uncomfortable. But like, uh, to your point, Dan, like having like product being the thing that tells you what's the thing that you want to solve or optimize for, not having that is like it's it's such a disaster. Like I've 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 never enjoyed that. I've never enjoyed a position where like people don't like basically if if product in them in some ways is like the the people who can say like good job you did a, you did a thing you know and i don't really get it but you know i like it and so like if you if you never have that why would you ever work for that place right like what's <laughs> and so by that i i, I mean to flip it and say like look if if you never have anyone who understands and rewards and appreciates what work you're doing leave that place it's crazy and hold people who people who should be in that role need to do that you know i had this so larry sulak is a, a professor in the physics department and he he was infamous whenever you saw larry come by he was always like he he was in his seventies and he'd go downstairs two at a time. And I was like, Larry, you're going to hurt yourself. Like, I don't know what's happening, but like, he was always very fast and like coming in and like, he was always running and he always asked a ton out of everyone and it stressed people out, but I, I loved it. I mean, it was just because he always thanked you. He always appreciated it. He didn't always understand it, but he, he knew what he was asking. He knew that it was crazy. You could tell him he was crazy. He was like, okay, but can you do it? 
and you know it just it was it was such a he was a force in nature and it really it was inspiring to to just be in that area so i love these people who just elevate the room yeah they just bring things to a you know they just expect more from everybody exactly. else and they put in more themselves exactly. and they respect people as people respect your time and just expect more from everyone and 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 the beauty of it is when those people are in the room everybody delivers at a higher level it's almost like a flip a switch flips in your brain where you're just like more engaged because you're suddenly feeling that this is expected of you so instead of like relaxing and complaining you start engaging in some problem solving and 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 being more just like i don't know what it is it's 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 just like a it's like a I hate the word energy, but it's like an energy of more yes, um, yeah. sophistication and uh, professionalism that just seeps into the into the culture. I guess this is the job of like higher level engineers is to like be that person to create that atmosphere in the right places. I think it helps to have them around. You don't always need to, you know. There's there's other you know there's other vibes or like feelings or energies or uh, I don't know what other keywords we want here but like you know there, there's other ways to do it but yeah i mean it's I, I think i i don't know that i've seen that in many other folks and when you see it and it's something special that's that's really something and it is it could like i try in little ways to uh to be like larry you know when i can and i don't always succeed at it but <laughs> you know it's not always it's not my uh, you know I think a lot of it just comes from honesty. Yeah. If you're in a room and you're understanding the situation, you feel like it's a crappy meeting that's inefficient yeah. and you can, in a professional, polite way, speak up about it and be honest about it. Yeah. And and that that's a lot of it, I think, because it, it shows that you're not only recognizing that there's a, a lack of productivity and respect and things going on here, but it's that you care enough to speak up and, also be nice and you know don't be a jerk about it would you expect the larry to be like the leader of the organization or would you expect a bunch of larry's and a bunch of line manager, line manager positions i mean i i think with that type of personality you know having too many of too many folks with the same thing and that's kind of what's getting back with the, the brittleness if someone has a very wide lane so larry was everywhere all the time if you have too many of those people you've essentially encouraged brittleness in the organization because like they don't, they need their space in some ways. So like some people need space, other people don't need space. And so it's like this, this puzzle that you have to fit together in order to organize it. Some people just don't like the style too, right? Like, you know, what's, what's really motivating to some people is just like, you know, disaster. And they just want they just want a quiet space. And they want to hide in their corner and that's all they want. And um, some organizations have a lot of corners. Some have none. Right. And I think, not uh not addressing it is the is the worst part uh, know know where you're at know what type of rooms you have and then go from there well i think we said it i think i think we yet again i think we solved a lot of the world's problems and i feel good about it so yeah i think we pretty much uh yeah we we solved all these things i'm glad we sorted it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes sense to me all right. I'll, I'll see you all next time. Good job, everybody. Thank you.